as we begin to, to walk into this new series on um, pauses for Lent, the things that we are going to concentrate on, I invite you to hear this first um, Sunday scripture by opening your hearts and your minds to what it says to you today. Reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Hear these words anew today. In those days, Jesus of, from Nazareth came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after Jesus, or now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. May God grant us understanding this day, the word of God for the people of Well, this has been a wilderness week. So much has happened. By Thursday morning, I was exhausted and burned out. In fact, I decided to work from home because I was so tired and I felt like I needed time to focus and renew. That was before I discovered that our building had been broken into. As the day unfolded, we learned more. I made a trip over and met Dustin, and we walked through the building. I saw the damage and loss, and I was heartsick. I headed back to Hillsboro, picked up the dinner I'd promised to pick up Sarah at her favorite Chinese restaurant, and headed home. Little did I know David and the kids had cooked up a plan. David drove home from Boise to surprise me because I knew I was having a difficult week. The plan was in place and he was on his way home before I knew what happened. Hmm. Last week, I made the decision to change what we were going to do for Lent. I had been thinking about this. Because of this, I rejoice and living in the, the book of Philippians for Lent, and I just wasn't feeling it. I just wasn't feeling it. And once again, as I contemplate what we're going to be talking with this Lent, I am again surprised that God shows up even when I don't expect it. Today, though, we're talking about Jesus and the wilderness. 
A little background, though, first on the Gospel of Mark. In April 2012, Evelyn Harry of the View Christian Church asked me if I could help them out for six weeks. I'd done some pulpit supply with them through the years, you know, filled in for their pastor when their pastor wasn't there, different pastors, different times. Um, and so I had a connection with them, so I was willing to take this long-term stint. Even though I was serving a lower Christian church at the same time, I figured, you know, six weeks, I can do this. I was asked to lead a six-week study on the Gospel of Mark. By the end of the first week, it was apparent that they really didn't want a superficial study that would do the Gospel of Mark in six weeks. So I agreed to stay with them for as long as it took to, to finish the Gospel of Mark. You know, I'm thinking a few months. Two years later, <laughs> yeah, I hear that. We finished the Gospel of Mark. And shortly after that, they asked me to be their permanent pastor. And I've served them since that time. In fact, I realized that next month will be my 10th year anniversary with them. What I want to tell you about that, that study, that two-year study in the Gospel of Mark, is that it profoundly changed the way that I see or saw this compact, fast-paced book. The Gospel of Mark was written about 70 CE. Um, it tells of the ministry of Jesus from the baptism by John um, to the death and burial and, and discovery of Jesus' empty tomb. So the whole, the whole Gospel is from that point to here. In that Gospel, there is no account of the birth story. In that gospel, there's no account of Jesus as a child. It starts here and ends here. And it moves at a breakneck pace through everything that comes between. It's almost as if Mark has a story to tell, and Mark is intent on making that happen as quickly as possible. It portrays Jesus as a her heroic man of action, an exorcist, a healer, a miracle worker. He is also the son of God, but keeps his messianic nature a secret. You know, in, in Mark, you'll find, don't tell anyone. Do this, but don't tell anyone. That's part of the story of Mark. Um, his disciples often fail to understand him. And it seems like Mark is in a hurry to get to this punchline of his whole story, which is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So that's kind of the, <laughs> what the, the quick overview of the book of Mark. There's a whole lot in there. This week's scripture is kind of a rapid-fire, um, brief, and to-the-point going from 0 to 60 in a single line. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Every phrase, every word, packs a powerful message. Get ready. The Christ has come. 
I could just say that and be done this morning. Justin, that would be the quickest sermon ever. Get ready, the Christ has come. However, I think that if, if I were to do that, we would miss some priceless gems that are in this portion of Scripture. We could miss that when Jesus came out of the water, a voice said, You are my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Actually, the Greek word that's translated well pleased um, means in whom I delight. I don't know about you, but I think that word delight is a deeper, stronger word. It captures a deeper feeling that God has for the beloved. We could also miss the fact that there were angels in the wilderness. After the, the same spirit that descended on Jesus at his baptism like a dove, turned like a dive bomber and took him out to the wilderness. There were angels with Jesus in the wilderness, along with the adversary, the wild beasts, and everything else one finds in the desert. I'm thinking bugs, not my favorite thing. But everything that, find, that we find in the desert, heat that burns your skin, thirst that makes your tongue stick, to the roof of your mouth, plants crowned with thorns, there were also angels who ministered to him. It's important to note that because we too experience the wilderness. I feel like the last two years have been a wilderness journey for me. You might feel the same. Still, even out here in our wilderness, there are times when God's presence is unmistakable. Moments when the extraordinary breaks through the veneer of the ordinary and blinds us with its brilliance, where the angels outnumber the wild beasts. Those moments come when we face the fear of the wilderness and gather courage and strength to take the next step, whatever that is. Whatever that is. Moments when the kingdom comes near. As we enter the wilderness, we sometimes feel overwhelmed and lost. Such moments can... can bruise our hearts. Such moments where we feel overwhelmed, we feel like there's no way out, we feel like we're alone, can bruise our hearts. Discourage us. <laughs> Plain and simple, wear us out. Where the dark circles become craters and life is hard. It can. The wilderness is a part of our life. And ready or not, we sometimes, maybe often, find ourselves in this wilderness of the unknown. 
truth be told, we rarely volunteer to go into the wilderness. I don't know about you, but I never say, oh, hey, God, I haven't been in the wilderness for a while. Show it to me. That's not who I am. For I am human. We don't look for opportunities to struggle. Which is probably why Mark reports that the Spirit drove Jesus rather than simply making a suggestion. During our periods of trial, trial, temptation, and struggle, we too don't choose to have them happen to us. Even when the challenges in front of us are of our own making, and sometimes they are, I'll be honest, we set ourselves up, let alone those put on us by others or the fortunes of life, None of those are our choosing, really. We don't actively seek that hardship. However, I think that when we are going through that kind of hardship, that wilderness, that, that desert, that whatever, I think that the Spirit can make use of us during our challenges. And that is a whole other question. See, there's one thing I want to be absolutely clear. I want to make sure that you hear and the people who are online here, I am not suggesting by saying that the Spirit can use our hardship. I'm not suggesting that God causes our suffering. Not to teach us something and definitely not to punish us or put us in our place. That is not the God that I serve the God of love and mercy. However, however, I think that whatever we're going through, God can use. Notice that the Spirit is not the one to tempt Jesus, but rather drives Jesus into this wilderness. And then it happens. And there are a lot of scholars that will tell you what they think about that. And I don't think at this point in time we need a scholarly approach to our wilderness. I really don't. I don't believe that God even wants us to suffer, let alone causes us to. But I do wonder if we can imagine that perhaps God is at work both for us and through us during our wilderness times. I wonder about that. I wonder when I'm going through a tough week how God will work for good and all. Not saying that everything is good, but knowing that we have a God who's faithful, who works for good. I might ask or wonder about this. Even though I did not wish for this thing to happen, how might God be at work through this difficult period? My human part says, how can I get out of this? 
But what if I reframed that and said, what can I learn from this? How might God use my wilderness to help someone else? I'm hoping that these questions will remind us that God's presence during those wilderness times, the times that leave us stretched, the times that feel like we're going beyond our abilities, I'm hoping that we will remember that God is ever present. The, the same spirit of God that descended upon Jesus at baptism and drove Jesus into the wilderness also accompanied him during that time and brought him back out again. Wrap your minds around that a little bit. Because what I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that we too receive help in our wilderness. I'm reminded of Mr. Rogers' suggestion that we look for the helpers in disasters and hardship. I think angels are right in there with those helpers. Maybe they are those helpers. That sounds like good news to me. So we've looked at the things that we would miss if we didn't read all of this scripture. I'm asking you to bear with me just a little bit longer because we're not finished yet. Now we can look at verses 14 and 15. After Jesus' wilderness experience, John was arrested. Jesus went back to Galilee. He shared some good news. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. In Mark fashion, the author tells the important part of this story in a very direct way, with as few words as possible. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is near. Here's what you need to do. Repent and believe. Sounds pretty simple and straightforward, right? Well, it's true. The kingdom is near. That's good news, right? But how do we describe life in the kingdom? What might life in the kingdom look like? The author of the book that we're looking for we're looking at in this Lenten journey is called Pauses for Lent. Um, he writes this, the author writes this, it is an intimate life in which we come to know God personally as Abba. It is shared life through which we come to discover ourselves as part of God's family. It is a transformational life in which we are gradually changed into the people that God wants us to be. It is a powerful life in which God acts together with us for the good of others and the healing of our world. That all sounds good. 
Then the gospel writer gives us some instructions. He says, repent and believe. That's how many of the Bible translations read. But here is the thing. Jesus didn't say, repent. He said, and there's a world of scholars out there using repent, but there is a world of difference between how this is written in the Greek. Metanano means to change one's mind or purpose. Often it's translated repent, change one's mind or purpose. The problem is the word repent comes with a whole lot of baggage. Walk up to almost any English-speaking person, especially one who hasn't heard multiple sermons on the topic, and ask them what repent means. Dollars to no donuts, they will echo the first definition in dictionary.com. To feel sorry, self-reproachful, or contrite for past conduct, regret, or to be conscience-stricken about past actions, attitude, etc., no wonder we have baggage around that word. Somehow we've con confused the idea of confession with what it means to repent. Confession is all those things. When we're telling God those things that we hold deep in our hearts, we sometimes think, that that's what this is. We need to tell God everything that's wrong, real or not, that we have done our entire life, or at least since the last time we laid it out. I grew up in an Irish Catholic community. All my friends went to confession. As a Protestant, I thought that was kind of weird. But they did. And this, as an adult, that that was meaningful for them. But unfortunately, the meaning of looking at the word repent in this way really misses the mark. Jesus doesn't ask people to feel sorry for what they have done. He doesn't ask people to feel anything. No, what Jesus asked is much, much harder. He called each of us to change. Change our perception of the world around us. Change our priorities. Change our view. Change our viewpoint. Change our understanding of life completely and radically. And then he called us to act on those changes. I'm thinking of the stories of when he's talking about who is your neighbor. Or what is sin? Or the feeding of the 5,000, what do you have? Those kinds of things. So he calls us to act on those changes and to keep on changing and keep on acting on those changes for the rest of our life. Instead of repent for the kingdom is at hand, we would be better to say, set your mind, your heart, and your life in this new direction. 
because God is moving around you and you don't want to miss it. Within minutes of hearing of our break-in, the helpers began to show up. I opened my inbox to a message from Carolyn Hamilton Arnold, Assistant Director of the Week of Compassion, which is a, a global helping agency of the, the Disciples of Christ and the United Church of Christ, asking how they could help. They immediately sent a $250 solidarity grant, knowing that it wouldn't cover our loss, but it could help to let us know that they're here with us. Then I received a text on my phone that said, I left something on your porch and you need to go check it right away. I'm like, okay. It was a $100 Amazon gift card with only the directions of use it however you need for your food ministry for your food justice ministry, totally at your discretion. Offers of help have poured in. We are not in this wilderness alone. <laughs> Those angels have already shown up. Or maybe this time we can just see them. The way I see it, there is good news in hearing that God delights in Jesus, God's beloved Son. There is good news of help in the wilderness. And there is good news that God's kingdom is here and now. And I know that there is good news in the fact that God is at work in our world and in us, helping us to change for the better so that we can live in a better world. My friends, let's claim the good news for us and let's claim this good news for our world. Amen.